Hello, good evening, and welcome to A Gift From Somewhere Radio with me, your host, Billy McTernan. Um, I'm joined here today with artist Eric Jemsey. Um, Eric, hi. Hi, Billy. <laughs> How are you today? I'm so chill. You know the, the joys of leftover food. I feel full. Literally. <laughs> um, thanks for having me on your show. Thank you too. Um, yeah, it's um, obviously we know each other really well, so I feel like it should be a good conversation. It's also kind of funny, like getting on a vid- on on a call, having just been talking just before. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like, okay, now we're gonna have this call. <laughs> I think it's the way it feels like. Um, okay, now we need to get into a whole other program. Yeah, ready, like, steady, action, like. <laughs> And this movie. <laughs> but um that no, is cool, it's cool. Um okay, so I will um before I start I'd like you to introduce yourself, um, maybe give us a bit of um sort of summary of your practice and what it is that you do. Okay, uh so my name is Eric Jenfi and I I am a photographer. I live and work from Accra Ghana for the most part. My practice, or I started off um, working for the most part as a documentary photographer. Um, but these days, even though I still employ the technique and the style of the medium uh, in my work, I think some of the ways in which I approach um, that practice has changed. And I think my focus has, if I could sum it up, it would be that my focus has shifted slightly from a certain emphasis on producing a photograph and more towards focusing a little bit more on the processes and the decision making that lead to the making of the photographs. Uh, or what I am calling um, these days as the photographs that I make. Um, so that would be a very short summary of, of my practice. Okay, um, thank you. Um, so for this um, series, for anybody who hasn't heard um, any previous episodes, um, I have a conversation with artists um, and we discuss a piece of literature or a film um, that they think kind of informs their practice. Um, and in this session, Eric chose uh, The Language of Literature um, by Arundhati Roy, which is part of the book Azadi. It's a series of essays um, in the book called Azadi. Uh, Eric, would you be able to tell us why you chose this particular, this particular essay? Hmm. I think I I chanced on it at a point in time in my practice when I needed uh, a certain precedence to the kind of path that I was interested in going on. And I don't know if it was just mere chance um, 
because I walked into a bookshop in Accra called Vidya, and I saw um, Azadi on the shelf. And I don't think it was Azadi that I was looking for. I was actually looking for the Ministry of Utmost Happiness, which would be Arundhati Roy's second novel. I had read The God of Small Things and really fell in love. Uh, I had really fallen in love with the way that she wrote and the way that she used language. And, and so I was looking forward to reading uh, The Ministry of Utmost Happiness, but I couldn't find it yet. And so I found a daddy and um, for consolation, <laughs> I grabbed a copy. I think this was around the time that I I had um, I had staged my final year thesis exhibition. And the very first essay that I came into contact with when I opened the book, you know, like when you open books, you look for, because it's a compilation of essays, you look for ones that could strike, you know, like a chord and that you start with to get you into the book. I typically don't like to start from the very first one. It's like I go to the, what do you call it? The first page, that, the content page. And then it would either be the way that an essay is titled, or something about, you know, like um, a section that catches my interest. And so I will use that as, uh, as a starting point to get into the book. And so in this case, it was the language of literature and I became very curious about what she meant or how she would approach the language of literature in her, in her, in, in her ethics. Um, and so I started reading. And I think one of the most important questions he was asking in the book was on the role of the writer when things change, when conditions change, when society changes, when tools change, when means of producing a piece of writing change. How does a writer respond? I'm thinking back now that I actually found the book before my thesis exhibition because when I was writing the the synopsis for the exhibition or the exhibition statement, I borrowed directly from the questions that she asked in the book. And so I also in turn asked, what does it mean to organize a photograph? And what can the photograph born from such organization? such organizing process do. Um, these days I'm asking more what does it mean to organize for a photograph as opposed to organizing the photograph itself. But I think it's the moment leading up to the clicking of the shutter that I'm interested in, the decisions that we make, where we go, who we speak to, how we gain access, um, how long of a period we allow ourselves to immerse ourselves in whatever it is that we are doing. All of these decisions um, are what I find important. And in a way, I think I'm interested in perhaps being very intentional with those processes and decisions and politicizing them because 
the steps that lead to the making of the photographs are not innocent ones, and we need to be able to recognize them for what they are. And so the book struck a strong chord, um, and she used her own practice as a writer after the publication of her first novel, and how she stopped writing novels for almost 22 years, and um, to be able to come back to write a novel again. And that novel became informed by all of those years of not writing novels. So it became necessary to not write, to be able to, to understand what it means to write <laughs> that last novel that she wrote. And it's something that I found incredibly inspiring um, as a photographer. I think it was, it wasn't that she wasn't writing though, it was that she wasn't writing fiction. So she was still, she was still um, engaging in literature, uh, just not necessarily in the way that people had expected her, especially after, you know, like um, the God of Small Things and winning and blah, 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 blah. Everyone's like, yeah, of course, when's the next novel? And she was like, mm, no. Um, and then kind of, I don't know if assumes or falls into this position or assumes this position of the writer activist as she kind of gets that label. She kind of speaks about that in the essay. Um, so when you speak about organizing and um, the role, I wonder if you could maybe speak a bit more into um, how that has come about in your own practice from being a documentary photographer, um, what sort of um, interactions or instances or exchanges or experiences um, have made you sort of take a similar, if I can say a similar path, or at least a similar interest in um, thinking for you what you can do beyond documentary photography in the way that uh, Arundhati Roy thought what she could do beyond um, fiction writing. So I think there, there are two interesting points in the book um, that, again, I connect with. And if you remember, um, I think there was a point where she was talking about people asking, oh, you stopped, you stopped writing, like what happened? People, like you said, were aware that she was writing essays, but that the fact that she wasn't writing fiction or novels, she wasn't, her practice wasn't considered writing um, by some people within the within the genre or within the, the field. And it's something that I have also been asked by colleagues from time to time. Oh, you, you're not photographing as much. <laughs> and it's always funny because I am perhaps photographing twice or more <laughs> in, than I used to. Uh, but it's in the fact that the kinds of photographs that I'm producing are, are strange and people do not, or colleagues um, that I started practicing in the field with do not necessarily know how to read them. And that's okay because I do not know how to read those photographs myself. Uh, so that's one point. I think the other point for me also is in this, um, necessity of waiting um, of being completely immersed 
in a certain field that when you come out of it, you are not uh, necessarily seeking to, that you are transformed <laughs> by that immersion such that whatever comes out of the process is not something that could have been done had you not immersed yourself. And I think it's where, for me, organizing becomes important. And I am still, in many ways, trying to understand what that organizing means because it takes very varied forms. I will use um, my encounter or the processes I had to go through at the Center for Plant Medicine Research, which is where I interned for a year. And for the listeners who may not know, the Center for Plant Medicine Research was established in 1970. It's in the Eastern region of Ghana. And it's an institution that is dedicated to research um, into herbal medicine or into medicinal plants. And so it publishes some of these research and as a way to fund their activities, they also produce um, herbal medicine and make them accessible to the public. And so there's a clinic section to the institution and there is the research facilities, which is the core of the institution's activities. Um, and so I went to the Center for Plant Medicine Research as a photographer seeking to understand how plant chemistry worked. When I got to the center, the, the first person I engaged with was the head of the public relations. And so he introduced me to the head of the botanic department. And um, the first thing he said was, you know, um, you have to help us and then we help you. And so the institution is uh, trying to produce a monograph of plant medicine or of medicinal plants in Ghana. And we need photos. And so if you help us make some of these photos, then you know, through the process, you would have access to our department and whatnot. And so that was a good um it was a good treat for me. It's like I get to use my skills as a photographer to uh, help the institution produce something. And then I intend also get to learn from that process. It's, it sounded really fair to me. And so I set about documenting um, herbarium's plant specimens that had been installed since the 1970s, uh, which had no digital um, accompaniment. Um, I would from time to time also document conferences that would happen at the center. Uh, throughout my time there, I would supply images to the public relations department um, to be used for their social media platforms. I advised the PR department as well uh, on the acquisition of some cameras that could be used by, um, by the department uh, for the activities in the absence. Um, I think five months or so into 
working at the center, I learned that the the monograph that would be published was actually being published in the name of the head of the department and not um, not in the name of the institution. And so it wasn't something that was uh, that would belong to the institution. It was something that would belong to these um, private individuals. And I did not stop. <laughs> uh, I was. It was a bit of a surprise, but I was already um, inside. inside. <laughs> I, at this point, have access to several departments. Um, I have COVID, and I don't know if you remember when I would dress up to go to work, which was too oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. To be honest, it was nice to have immediate colleagues in that way right. because I don't think it's something that we have um, as artists, not immediate. In a structure you know, like, like that, you know? Like, exactly. Yeah. So you report for work and then you have lunchtime. There's like office gossip as to what's happening, who's doing what, you know. It felt, it felt nice. And so um, I just moved on. And I think one of the ways in which I rationalized that was also in the fact that I I had a whole institutional framework to test something um, that would not be available where, where I could just work in my studio back at home. Right, it's like a testing ground, like an actual in real time space outside exactly. of your four walls. Exactly, it was definitely a testing ground. And so for me, it was every decision that was made and how I utilized my, um, my position as a photographer or as an artist within a scientific um, space that became environment. And so my decisions had to be very, very intentional. And so after all of these activities, um, I sought for permission to host my thesis exhibition in the waiting area and clinic of the institution. And because I had been working or slaving so much for the institution, they couldn't say no. Because with the benefit of hindsight, it would be so difficult for anyone to attempt to hold an exhibition inside of a clinic. Um, yeah. And so, patients and everything. You know, mm-hmm. contaminations with all of the odd things that I was able to do within that space. You know, <laughs> it was it was only by, not only, but perhaps it was by the fact that I had worked for so long there that also Definitely. 100%. Um, it's the relations. Precisely, precisely. And so a part of what I did, um, as part of the strategy, the waiting area was very important for me and the clinic because it meant that anyone that was sick or that was seeking for information on health could access my exhibition. And so it wasn't necessarily about 
a certain category of people with certain specialized knowledge um, that could have access. I think this is something that I also make sure run through all of the strategies that I employed. I compiled some of the documentations I had made of the herbarium specimen, which themselves were in a cold room um, on the ground floor of the institution. I was able to compile some of them into books and bring them from the cold room into the waiting area for whoever came into that space to have access to this information. Where otherwise one would have to pay to go down into the cold room to be able to access. Um, I was able to get access to production units, to microbiology labs, to several sections of the institution to be able to learn, um, but also to be able to be learned from, sometimes by my mere presence. <laughs> and I think when I speak about organizing, it's in being able to build bridges or be in solidarity with sometimes seemingly different disciplines such that whatever comes out of that could be a representation of knowledge that could not easily be formed where these disciplines to work autonomously or independently of each other. And so this is one of the, the shifts or the forms that organizing take is to be able to act or to build bridges across. And I think it is something or a skill that's perhaps very important for photography today. If we look at just how the medium has changed, photography has changed so much in the past 40 years. And recently I have been looking at just how different digital photography is from analog photography. <laughs> Uh, very wild differences. And so for me, I think the photographer must <laughs> of necessity learn to build bridges in our time. <laughs> you must. Please. That's very absolutely. The photography, the photographer, hey, the photographer, <laughs> the photographer must. <laughs> Photography and the photographer, actually. Yes, yes. And I think it's not in these, um, it's in the smallest way, you know. And I think Arunda Tiroi, um, they have acted, uh, really inspired some of the decisions that I ended up making um, towards my own work. And even though what I did is perhaps quite different. I think when you go through the text, you realize that what she did could also be read in organizing terms. I think all of those activities, all of those essays that she had to write were in some ways in preparation towards being able to write the Ministry of Utmost Happiness.
Sorry, I think as well. I mean, yeah, I I agree with you because um, I think in the in the um, text she even alludes to to something like that. Like she had to she had to remove herself from fiction be able to to be able to come back to fiction. Um, and I'd like to find the quote um of it somewhere. Um, here we go. After twenty years of writing, traveling into the heart of rebellion meeting most extraordinary as well as exquisitely ordinary people, fiction returned to me. It became clear that only a novel would be able to contain the universe that was building in me, spinning up from the landscapes I had wandered through and composing itself into a story universe. Yes, this really, yeah, this was touching to me. This was really touching to me. Um, and I think for me, it's in the fact that she could not have anticipated writing the Ministry of Utmost Happiness in advance. She had to go through all of these processes to be able to acquire the language to be able to write that. And I think for me, this is absolutely aspirational. This is. Is it just language? Is it language and like also just the seeing of like being in? Like experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I, I think it's it's the experience that gives her the language. How right. else does she or like where else could she write from? You know, I think if for nothing it makes it potent. And I I there is something that she said after after this quote that I also really enjoyed, and it was. Uh, I, I think she was trying to describe the book. And she said, it would be like a great city in my part of the world in which the reader arrives a new immigrant. A little frightened, a little intimidated, plenty excited. And the only way to know it would be to walk through it, get lost and learn to live in it. Learn to meet people small and big. Learn to love the crowd. I really love this quote. <laughs> I, really, I really love this quote because there's something about something about everyone learning to understand what this new language is, you know, at the end of the day. Right. And right. Even a lot you know, <laughs> you know like hours of you conversation know. on this. <laughs> you know, so it's also exciting to be able to work such that at the end of the day, you you and whoever encounters the work don't know whatever it is that you're encountering. I mean, not, not not know as in being ignorant, but that there is a process for all of you to work through towards understanding this on, on a fresh land, you know, like on a common denominator somehow. And I think for me, even it's in looking for a visual language that doesn't privilege um, anyone. And so no one can stand and say, oh, this is how this glass plate for us is to be read. We don't know. None of us know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's only in the experience of it. It's in how you then experience the work. And so in my decision-making also, it becomes important um, to consider the choice of material that then reflect this. And I imagine for Arundhati also, it would be in consideration of the kind of language that she writes with. 
And I think it's in moving through all of these land, all of these landscapes, that is able to give her a sense of what language that she needs or what tools from her toolbox. And I imagine twenty-two years of writing essays and visiting different landscapes, hearing responses from different kinds of people on how they relate to your work. It will shift something about you. You it has to. You have, a, you have an idea who would be who you're writing for and how they could possibly engage the work, you know, like on what platform they could stand to engage the work. And I think that's very crucial. And so for me, it comes back to the decision-making again, to the choice of material, like how do you reflect this, whether literally or even poetically, you know. Um, Yeah, pretty much. And I think the attention is on my work, but also I see some of these... um, strategies coming through in your own practice. Um, I remember when you started with, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and Sorry. Classic. It's a classic. It's going down in history. It's going down in history. It's a classic. Definitely going down in history. You know, when you just started with this, and then you invited myself and Ivan and Jay to the studio, and we started, like, rewriting these, like, charcoal on, like, these brown papers. And then after a few weeks or months or so, I see you like with um, threads and needles stitching these things. And then I see you doing these with AR. You know, I think there is there as well a certain sense of looking for, you're still looking for language. And if I'm wrong, correct me. You're still looking for, or you're testing, you're testing the tools that you have. Uh, to see what could come out of them. And for me, I think uh, it's a worthwhile pursuit, even if the only thing that comes out of that is in discovering something else that would then be able to propel you to do another thing. It's very worthwhile. Okay, I think what I can say to that is 100%. um, It's you spoke about a couple of things and actually I think I need to note a couple of things I want to come back to um but first on this it's the pursuit for language that like you rightly said even if necessarily that language doesn't necessarily emerge it will still inform how you were using language before which I think it has and which I think um I've been employing um in for instance the um a gift from somewhere um, audio portraits, not not the rate, not this, com- not these conversations, but the audio portraits that I've been doing. I think it's been informing some of those. Um, um, additionally, it's also what you said again about, like for instance, the glass plates, and how everyone has to reckon with this as you know a, an image, a photograph, or how to how to reckon with this as a as a visual thing. Um, equally with the writing, because I still consider the sewing to be writing. But then it kind of, it's not writing in the way that we know it. So it's writing that we all have to try to reckon with. Um, maybe less so myself because I, I kind of know. But even then, it's, it's still, I can't necessarily know exactly what it is that um, has been written. It's, it's not even like a, um, a, um, a code that I'm constantly using. Like the code changes actually from, from sheet to sheet. Um, so nobody really has the, if I can say, authority or 
or yeah, algorithmic authority. No one is able to say this is what this thing is or this is what this thing says, um, because oh, essentially it doesn't say anything in a way that you might imagine writing to say. If you see what I mean. Um, so for sure, there are definitely links in there, and um, I mean, going back to some of the other things that we spoke, you spoke about in terms of um, organizing and bridging disciplines, and how to um, uh, how to um, organize. Um, it made me think about um, what Arundhati Roy said in this particular essay about. Um, where some of the essays were found, they were translated into various Indian languages, they were online, they were in pamphlets, they were, you know, they found themselves in all sorts of places. And eventually they found themselves in a book, I guess, um, I think, I, I don't know if maybe this is one of them, but also um, there's another one, which the name of which skips my mind at the moment, um, that was the, that the collection of essays is in. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it the essays take a different form for accessibility, if I can say that. Um, and and even in that, that means they change as well, right? Like it's not the same essay that she wrote either with pen or paper or on a laptop. It changes and um, becomes something different to whoever it's, whoever's holding it. Um, so yeah, I found that quite interesting. And then, you know, linking that back to your work, particularly with um, the exhibition you mentioned, at the Center for Plant um, Medicine Research, is that right? CPMR, yeah. Um, and thank you very much. <laughs> and the forms, the many forms that you use, like, or if I can say forms, many uh, modes of expression, or many modes of, modes of uh, I don't know if representation is the best word, but at least many modes you use. Um, so the glass plates, the paper, like you mentioned. Say that again. Okay, cool. Yeah, so with um, the glass plates, like you just mentioned, um, the um, images from the herbarium, um, there were cyanotypes, there were um, photo books, there was so many, there was a video, there were so many different elements that um, were sort of um, talking about maybe the same story or parts of the same story. I think maybe parts of the same story is uh, more accurate. Um, for different people to to enter or to experience accordingly, do you know what I mean? And so I see the link in in um, in what Arundhati Roy is saying here um, with the photography that you practice. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to to to, to touch on that because um, I thought that was an important element. Yeah. Just to add to that, I think perhaps the most important um, takeaway from that exhibition was or is also in the fact that all of those forms, I could not have predicted them in advance at all entirely to be able to consolidate them in the way that I did. There was no way I would have been able to plan in advance that I could translate because the exhibition was led by an interest in the plant cryptolepids. And so there was there was no way I could have anticipated that I could grow this plant as, um, as mold or as fungus, and that I could also have it on a glass plate on a window in the hallway, that I could also pick a piece of fabric, soak it with it, and allow it to react with some other photochemical 
that I could video the pigments and also install it. And so you have the same plant that now comes, um, takes various representational forms. So it grows itself within the exhibition space. It is growing again as some kind of microbial life. It in a piece of uh, it's on a piece of paper in a book as an, as, as a photograph, uh, but it's also on a on a glass piece as a pigment, and then it's inside of a fabric, and it's inside of a screen, and it's inside of a book. All of these forms are they were possible because I was able to to learn and to share from the various disciplines that I worked with, and I think. It's the kind of result from organizing that I'm interested in. Now, the kinds of photographs that I am developing um, are directly documented from some of these glass plates. And I don't know if I show you some of them sometime. They look incredibly pixelated. They look like... Um, like pixel blocks, but they, they aren't uh, pixels at all. They are images that are as a result of the nature of the glass that I'm working with. And it's so interesting to see that um, these seemingly analog images mimic very poetically the very beginnings of digital photography. You know? And so it's some of these surprises. So that image could not have come um, from the air, it, uh, it, it had to come from all of these different processes and activities and um, an intention. And so like also not, for me, it's, it's, it's also about how careful these, these decisions are made and how they are evaluated and how um, one then decides, okay, so for the next um, project, I, I do not have to make these and these and these decisions because these and these are some of the outcomes that come from it. You shape something about yourself. Uh, and I think it's in allowing yourself to go outside of what, what you know. And in my case, what I know about photography and really trying to understand what other things can come into photography or what other possibilities could emerge from photography. Um, and I think this is cool. <laughs> I it think cool. If, cool. if for nothing, just the excitement, you know, of working with new and different people, it's, it's stimulating and it's very worthwhile. I think, I mean, it reminds me again, I think she had something that kind of speaks to that. Hold on, let me also pull that up. She says, um, uh, okay, so it was the end of imagination when I was trying to find the book of essays that has um, a lot of her essays from this period of time it's called the end of imagination um, and she says for each essay I searched for a form for language for structure and narrative could I write as compellingly about irrigation as I could write about as I could about love and loss and childhood about salinization of soil about drainage dams crops about structural adjustment and privatization about the per unit cost of electricity about things that affect ordinary people's lives, not as reportage, but as a form of storytelling. Was it possible to turn these topics into literature, literature for everybody, including people who couldn't read and write, but who had also taught me how to think and could be, be read to? Do you know what's funny about that for me as well? Is like, obviously I've come from um, a journalism background, 
and um, I've said this. Whoever's heard me say this is gonna. I'm gonna sound like a broken record, or whoever's at least either heard me say this or had to read my thesis. I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but um, part of my um, writing journey and part of my um, um, general decision, if I could, not general decision, sorry, um, first position to sort of move away from journalism at the time was um, in search of this kind of form and language and structure and narrative, like she kind of speaks, like how do you write compellingly about, in my case, um, um, Galamse, you know, in Ghana, or um, um, which other things, um, fishing, uh, sorry, the encroachment of Chinese, um, um, oh, what do you call it, those large ships that, that are in the waters and, and fishing issues and and deforestation issues and so on and so on and so on. Is that how do you do that? I think um, in the end for me, I had to take a step back um, and go back into fiction at the time and now go more further into the arts too, I think will, and I've spoken about this with you, <laughs> about coming back into journalism and how that might look and getting back on the road and stuff. But I think I've had to do all of those things to be able to come back, to be able to maybe one day or at some point in my career um, write about some of those things um, in a language, in a structure, and a form that feels um, um, necessary to me and true to me and accurate to what I think it is that I'm um, observing and experiencing. Um, yeah, and, and, and I guess that's another thing that kind of links back to the question I asked at the beginning with you as a documentary photographer if we can you know draw parallels between being a journalist and being a documentary photographer and now finding ourselves in this position um of interest for me i think it's about it becomes truly about life simply <laughs> and being able to understand it and recognizing that things are not things don't typically happen in isolation that if you look closely, everything is connected. And to allow for ourselves to, to be able to flow, uh, whether through our living or through our practice, ideally both. And I think it's where this interest um, develops from. Everything, everything is connected at the end of the day, you know. Um, when I started to work with photochemistry, particularly working with plants, it was in the various ways in which they could connect me to everything else. It was wild. When I stopped developing with distilled water and started to, for instance, work with rainwater, you begin to ask all sorts of questions. Why is the rainwater causing my print to feed? what's inside of this rainwater. Oh, it contains extra amount of this element. Why is there extra amount of this element at this point in time in the year? Like how has this changed in the last hundred years? What activities are happening on the land? What decisions have been made elsewhere within the superstructure, for instance, that causing these changes to happen? Oh, it's as a result of aluminum deposits in the soil. Where is it coming from? Oh, there was a factory here like 50 years ago that was producing aluminum and exploiting the land. Oh, really? How did they get here? They link you to <laughs> virtually. And I think that's where 
that's where the politics start to rear its head inside of our Western practice. I think it's from those points that you can begin to become very critical that your decisions do not become arbitrary, you know. And I think it's very important when in my practice now, I think I, like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm, um, I'm also giving some focus to the to the moments before the the shutter is clicked, and so to all of the decision making that happened before the photograph is made, you realize that it's perhaps in our time one of the only ways where you can begin to politicize the photograph because the photograph itself is so malleable that it could be used to see anything. Any photograph could be used towards any end, really. In our time, in in an in the age of TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram, all that needs to happen is for a word to be applied to it or like to be written on it, and it completely changed, you know. And so for me, even though photographs are really powerful in the ways that they trigger things inside of us, I think how we arrive at them is also equally important and perhaps deserves more attention than is being given um, by practitioners today. And it's where I find that I am able to explore and I'm able to collaborate and I'm able to join hands with other people that enrich the process or that enrich the entire experience. I want to, um, I think you knew, I think you know that I'm, I was going to take it here, but um, as I was reading it, it reminded me of um, our dear friend that goes to the Cocos. <laughs> right to the Cocos. I did not want to be the one to take it there. <laughs> so, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I really I had to. I had to. You had to. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. I Very like, important reference. <laughs> In the name of current journalism, I had to. <laughs> yes, please. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> As we're going to the caucus, um, uh, for those who may not be aware, I'm referring to um, the author's producer by Walter Benjamin. Um, in it, he describes a um, an example of what, what's the term that he uses? Um, he he the operating the writer. Is it operating? The operating uh-huh. writer. Yes, that's right. Um, and he speaks about the um, Russian. Um, writer Tretyakov. Yeah. Who spent time in the Kokos, which was the um, agricultural union space um, um, at the time um, in in Russia. Or I guess it would have been Soviet Union at the time. I'm not sure. Um, and the kind of experience um being in that space had on the what he wrote and he he sort of he speaks about the operate, operating writer um as opposed to the hack writer um which 
Arundhati Roy also kind of speaks to as uh, she also uses a term um, and now I'm not even sure if it's something I read in here or in somewhere else but she also speaks about other writers um, or journalists or other people who um, maybe perform more of a um, propaganda role or maybe just um, reportage she actually speaks about how to make um, how to make how to tell these stories without them necessarily being reportage um, you know um, and also in addition to that I read um, again I think someone described her essays as like fire coming out of her <laughs> Um, which doesn't it isn't very reportage like <laughs> you know um so thinking about Trechikov thinking about the operating writer thinking about the idea of the writer activist which is actually the writer activist is something that I would personally resist um but I wonder what your thoughts are on that as it relates to you as a photographer um and your practice so I think I have been thinking about this and uh, if I will be honest, uh, my, my, my thoughts are still very much in its uh, formation, or it's still like on the go. <laughs> but I think for me, I have been looking for answers within the trajectory of photography itself. And so I want to be able to use how photography as a medium has changed. And how perhaps that calls for our photographers to reconsider the ways in which we go about um, our practices. And so I, I heard something very um, important from a conversation I was listening to. I think it was a conversation between uh, one Alexa Giovanni I may be pronouncing the name wrong, forgive me in advance. And um, Fred Richen, who used to head the International Center of Photography in New York. I think Fred made, oh, Mr. Richen, sorry, made a very important comment. <laughs> he made a very important comment that stayed with me for a long time. And I think the comment was along the lines of digital photography, or I think it was that we make the point when we call digital photography photography, because it is so much more. And we risk doing what the pictorialist did. Um, and I think the pictorialist here will refer to the very early photographers that, um, that sought to make or uh, yeah, that's how to make photographs mimic painting, you know, uh, almost neglecting the essence of what that technology was. And that essence was in the fact that it could render reality or something that was out there in the world sharply. It was a tool that could be used to give um, attention sometimes even to things that the eyes could not perceive. And so it wasn't until the modernists came that they started to emphasize on these qualities of the tool or of the technology. They would make images that were really sharp. They would make images that were crisp that had lots of detail because that's what the medium could do. And they thought that 
in many ways, trying to make photography, mimic painting was a failure of the possibilities of the medium or of the technology. And so Fred also argues that a similar turn is happening inside of photography where it's switched from the analog to the digital, but it's still being called photography. But there's so much more that's happening. There is a computational process. The unlike analog where light is directly captured from a certain outside um, world and imprinted directly on a piece of cellulose, digital photography is not like that. It's a computational process. So it is data that is collected, that is constructed within um, whether a fraction of a second or an actual second or whatever it is the time frame is that an image is being made. And so one deals with the trace and the trace would be whatever it is that's out there in the world. And one just deals with collecting data and constructing it by the aid of computation. And so I have been thinking about what this means. Um, also in the age of speed and really quick dissemination. So being able to share images across like Instagram or Facebook or images being able to travel really, really fast. You know? What do these things mean for the production of images? You know, like how do they change how we produce and consume images? And how do we make decisions in our approach based off of some of these understandings? And so for me, it's this is what informed my focus now on the process or on the event of the photograph where we set the table for the photograph to become, whether it's a stage photograph, whether it's on the street, you know, like how we prepare ourselves or we position ourselves in preparation for the making of any photograph. This is where my focus is. And so I, in some ways, sometimes poetically, sometimes literally, I am trying to borrow this idea of collecting data and organizing it to make sense. <laughs> at any given point to any given audience. I am borrowing this idea directly from digital photography and finding ways of applying it into intellectual space and life and, um, and encounters. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it also reminds me of something else I wanted to touch on before um, about the different roles that that would require you to take on. So, for instance, while you were at the um, the Center for Plant Medicine Research, you were the hack photographer, for want of a better expression, when you had to take pictures yes, that they yes, needed yes. for. Absolutely. Yeah, you Absolutely. were an observer, you were this, you were that, and you, you had to take on several roles and a facilitator and, 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 and all of that, and how all of those processes, all of those things that happened before the, the click of the, the shutter, um, I think were presented in the exhibition mm -hmm. like we literally got the images of the book that you were the hack you know what i mean like that was the literal <laughs> yes, 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 yeah yes 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 and yeah i think we talked about this in several ways being also able to go through 
um, that sense in themselves. Uh, and so in this case, for me being able to go to photography itself proper and to be able to emerge from another side of it, you know, to show what else is possible with it. It's, for me, it's incredibly fulfilling, really, really fulfilling. And it also shows you how this thing is really broken down in our time, that it can be, photography is everywhere and it's everything. And that really, every moment in our life now is, a possible, um, it's a possible event for a photograph to take place, whether you're working on the street and a, a surveillance camera is taking or you're at an event and someone is doing a snap and you just get caught in the crossfire, you know, like every aspect of our life, unlike the Definitely. last 40 years, for instance, is a proper event for a photograph to be made. And we know this very, very well as human beings. We've trained ourselves to form our bodies, position ourselves in anticipation for that. And so I think it's something that I'm just playing with actually, sometimes not so much, but just focusing on how our very lives are- An event. In this time, an event for a photograph (laughs) to occur. And sometimes a photograph occurs, sometimes it doesn't. And this is not so different from life. Sometimes you pose, the photograph is made and it's black I think um, it doesn't happen. <laughs> I think that reminds me of as well, when we were in Kumasi and um, when we first got there, you were interested in just taking uh, or making images um, around campus, just kind of ad hoc, randomly, without necessarily rhyme or reason you know or without a goal the end goal um because every moment essentially could be an event but you know we take that we take that from a modern uh, a modern understanding or contemporary understanding like you just described and i mean you use or at least you were using or were you using your analog what camera were you using at the time then so well, both actually i was using mm. i think a uh, what's the Fuji? No, 2018. I think it was so the Fuji, yeah. It was a Fuji. And then I think I used my 35mm. And believe this, I have still not gone back to those photographs. And I've, it's it's our fourth year now, and I'm still making photographs. That you don't I have to say that out loud, please, I think. Putting us on blast on the radio. What is all this? <laughs> That's lived. That's lived. <laughs> my goodness. Listen, close your ears. Yes, please. We did not say this. This is not happening. You are not hearing us. We closed. <laughs> my goodness. But yeah, it's been. I think that experience has been really nice. Just making photographs that I'm not looking at. You know, it has been a really good exercise. Um, and I'm actually very curious to see what I will find. Uh, at the end of a certain period. I think at the same time, and this is something that I started realizing when I was apprenticing with Kutuba I think quite early on, I became very aware of how my <laughs> photographs, particularly so-called um, documentary photographs were. Um, if you would remember the body of work, a certain bed, 
where the photographs were made and then I, I began to experiment with printing them, the same images sometimes on just different papers or different supports. And you realize that just by changing support or like um, color, that the images sometimes took on very different kinds of light. And so this malleability has been, it's been brewing somewhere in the back of my mind um, because that's also my training. This is where I come from. Um, I learned to photograph for the most of my practice as a documentary photographer. This is where I really took time. This is what I took time to hone. And so I typically start from, from there. And a lot of my interest also comes from, um, from that space or from that um, style of making images. And I think to a large extent, I can confidently see, or I can confidently claim still being a documentary photographer, even though the, the byproducts of my processes are not easily read in those terms. You know? But I think they are, they are proper documents. Um, not obviously photographic sometimes, but <laughs> they are proper documents. And I think there's something worthwhile in like also asserting that position for you, should you want to assert that position, because what it does do is um, broaden what we can consider photography and broaden the boundaries and, and bring in a lot more things um, for different people to be able to uh, experience and and understand in their way, you know. I mean, we speak about this a lot um, expanding forms and, and forms, you know, recasting forms and so on. Um, and I think it's interesting to be able to do that and assert the position of what someone might think is an essentialist way to describe uh, a, a given practice. Do you know what I mean? Like photographer or writer. But when it comes, it doesn't look like something, um, maybe someone who is looking for an essentialist understanding of that. Theme, right. If you know what I mean, yeah. I think one of the interesting things that does also is that it comes back to challenge what um, what qualifies as um, what qualifies to be in any medium or genre and who decides. And I think I wonder to ask this question as well. I'll see if I could find the quote. Um, something about just a second. Well, I cannot find it, but you get my point. It's oh. it then Which what qualifies as a it? documentary. I think it was something about um, what qualifies as literature and who decides. Mm. Mm. No, it it's it points to bigger questions around some of the things that we have inherited and taken as a given, um, almost as though they had not had to be fought for at some point. And I think for me, what that does is it opens the it opens the door for us to understand that everything has to be fought for <laughs> at a certain point. That things are not necessarily um, cast in stone, and that if the arguments are compelling enough, that they would have to be heard. 
Uh, and so this is also good motivation for me to still assert the position as a photographer. Um, and so I also wonder how that works for you as a writer, um, working across um, these various interests uh, and how sometimes the results of some of the things that you do are not easily related to as, as writing. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that just as we spoke about the different roles that, you know, one might take on in a given circumstance to produce a given body of work, um, you find that inside, like, I'm, I, I'm not averse to there being hack writers, I'm not averse to there being um, operating writers and anything that's in between and outside of those. I think everything has its place. Um, maybe there are people that want to do strict, you know, um, right activism, people that want to do reportage and so on. I just think it's interesting for me to operate something that's a bit more, um, that kind of blurs the lines a bit. Um, so to your question, I think, um, I think for me, I like to, um, I also like to assert the position um, of a writer and I also, I mean, she spoke, when you mentioned just now, she spoke about who gets to decide. I think that's the key thing for me. Um, these things are not set in stone. So if we put ourselves, or if we are in a position to to blur these things, it might not be us that, you know, brings about some new form that becomes something that somebody needs to be able to read or access or experience something. But it might trigger somebody to do that you know, outside of us. Um, I think that I was I was reading the poem and she said literature, um, she say literature, literature sh provides shelter, literature that provides shelter of all kinds. I also don't want to, yeah, I also don't want to um, enshrine literature as this or art as this thing that's untouchable and this is my art and you can't, you know, this is it now, <laughs> you can't. I also don't want to do that, which is probably why I also do the, um, not probably, it, it, it's definitely connected to why I do do these illegible works. So that actually, even if we put all this importance on it, it's not that, it could also be not that important at the end of the day. Um, so I try to put myself in a position where I don't take it too seriously. While of course being, you know, trying to be serious about the work that I do, but um, if if that makes sense, if that connection makes sense. Um, in terms of the experiences I've found, I, I would say like even from journalism, in my fiction writing, in my non-fiction writing, where I find myself now, um, I think definitely I wouldn't. I wouldn't write as I did now had I not have had all of those experiences. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely part of it. And again, I have been I've done hack work. I've done you know I've done all of those things. I've done you tell me about four hundred word news. <laughs> yeah, you know news items. Okay. Uh, yeah. Ali, uh, how do we survive? You know, like while going through all of these things, you still have to eat. You still have to pay the bills. And I'm not, and and it's and it's also it's just a worthy experience. I mean, for me, it's been a worthy experience. Not even just like, because there were times where it's not like I had to pay the bills. Like I wanted to do that. 
you know what I mean? That that was the yeah. position that I wanted to be in. Mm. I think for me as well, I look, I look back and um, I think I'm filled with gratitude. And I'll tell you what, when I had to document the herbarium specimens, I had to work with artificial lights, you know, and the way in which some of these things work, you have to understand how to trigger multiple lights at the same time. These are things that I'm picking from my toolbox from my very, very early um, stages. It. For my very, That's it. I had to work as a hack photographer to be able to, to have that in my, like, to, to be able to deploy it when I need it, you know. So now I am in an institution that requires for a photographer to be able to do a certain kind of work. So you can have access to do some kind of work that you want. And if I do not know how to make very shiny, very um, NGO type looking images, this dream of being able to do that something else cannot happen. And so all of these things that we acquire on, on the road, and I think it's, it's also why I wonder this work with resonates so, so much. At the end of the day, you're gathering experience for life. And even Definitely. if you never get to use it, you, you can get to translate it somehow. That's it. That's <laughs> and just I think it. That's, also, that's also really worthwhile, or even to teach it, or even to share it. That's the passing on that I'm saying, yeah. It might not be, you might not be the one yeah. to, yeah. yeah. It might not be important to you, but that's something that could propel someone in ways that are unimaginable. In ways that could also be very political. And all of these things are very, very important. Another example that speaks to this that I noticed recently was... Um, I've been watching a lot of Kumawood movies. Like, I've been having a blast. I started with a movie called Chewa that we all, we all watched when we were kids. A lot of people watched when we were kids. And it's the typical Kumawood movie about witchcraft and whatnot. And so I've been going back to these kinds of movies. And the question is, there is an appeal. Why is there an appeal for these movies, you know? And... For me, uh, thinking of see filmmaking also as part of my practice, it can be a little bit misplaced when my interests, my interest doesn't always have to align with the global interest on where filmmaking is headed or where it should go. Same for photography. Sometimes it's just in being able to stare something small to change something little about the movie that already exists. And that becomes where the political activity happens. Or like where, the, you know, it's very little things. It's not uniform, it's my point. It's not, it doesn't, there isn't like a single way. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah, so to be able to look carefully at the specific situations, specific conditions, and to work with them, you know, like, or to work through them, that's what becomes really important. And I think, hence, why the focus on the events of the photography is also important, because they are always very specific moments or situations that require very specific um, processes or decision-making that may not apply to other um, things. 
and it's where your decision making and your steps and your processes become important. What you do, how you do it, how you go about access, how you go about um, arriving, you know. So yeah, um, just to say I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much. Glad to hear. I'm standing with you. <laughs> in the caucus. No, we're not in the caucus. Where are we? No, we're not. <laughs> we're not in the caucus. Very, very, we are, we are anywhere but the caucus. Yeah, that's not where we are. We're not in the caucus. But shout out to those of us that are in the caucus. Big up. Big up. Yo, <laughs> big up our caucus comrades. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. Um, I think what you say is true as well, especially about how the, the how it becomes political, and we can we can go into so many branches of that as well. Even if we think about um, all sorts of um, identity politics, for instance, um, and things like this that could um, could be um, translated through what it is that we're talking about. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's just to be able to um, produce a something produce a sense of something, some possibility for me. Um, and Arundhati Roy says something which I, I don't I don't see quite in the same way, but I think when she was describing how people were averse to her, um, some were like, oh, where's your, where's your fiction? And some were like, oh, stick with the non-fiction. She said that somebody described it as um, the non-fiction and fiction being her two legs. Um, you know, that kind of, she moves with both of them. But I, were, I was even thinking of it as being like, in both legs, like you can't determine one from the other. Like there, there is no, no, no set cut and dry. This is where this begins and this is where this ends, kind of thing. Um, at least for me, not necessarily for her. Um, my, no, my way. Yeah. Oh, you see this very, very much in uh, photography. I think all photographs are <laughs> Even the so-called documentary photographs, once you plant a camera and you decide to copy, you're fictionalizing. You're, it's a viewpoint. Even with a 360 um, camera, you're still fictionalizing because it's, it's not all time. It's not there's something preceding whatever moment you're choosing to record and something coming after it. And so these lines, they are... Like you said, yes, it's it would be very difficult to determine which leg is fictioning and which leg is non-fictioning, you know. Um, yeah, I see that very, very much in photography. It's, um, I think it's to be open, but to be intentional. Um, and I think that's where it's been for me, being, yeah, just being very open. I think um, what you just, I mean, I guess it will kind of, we've hit over an hour, so we will round up soon. But um, one other thing um, that just came to mind was, um, you know, like even when you said even with a 360 camera, you could, um, it's, it's still a fiction. And it reminded me of um, one of your points of interest that you you have, I guess you still have, of um what what's led you here, I guess, was how to capture what's beyond the frame, um, or how to 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 sort of add contexts to the the, the framed photograph um, to give a broader sense, if I if I could say that, um, to 
or, or, or to understand the photograph differently. And maybe the photograph includes that frame and also all the other information um, outside that. Maybe you could speak to that. Um, yeah, I think it ties in with everything else. Um, one, the focus is not too much on the product. Then you have to look at the framework. <laughs> And so the framework becomes the events, um, the processes, and all of the things that lead up to whatever it is that then gets cast in a frame. Um, and I think for me, it's it's pretty much that um, giving a little more attention to to the framework to the platform um, yeah yeah I think I think I've touched on on that in very different ways um, but it all goes back to the turn of the event or the setting of the table for the photograph to happen and what happens within that process um, yeah I think it's where it is well um, I think we could probably close there I'd like to say I'd, I'd like to read I've not yet read the Ministry of Utmost Happiness but I'd, I'd like to read it um, and know how all those other writings have informed that that book and how it differs from The God of Small Things for instance which again we we read you know after one after each other also so we read this in Kumasi right yeah, in Kumasi, yeah. Which one did we? I think I think it was a series of three books. It was Dust. It was Dust. By... It was that, and, and I want to say it was. Um... Yeah, no, it was Chintu. It was Chintu. It was Chintu. Yeah, yeah it was because Chintu. I think oh, we, I remember. <laughs> and then I read um, what's it called? A um, uh, hundred days of solitude. Which also was kind of had a Chinsu vibe. You need to, yeah. Really? But yeah, no, it was I, those I three books. Yeah, it was the intergenerational mm -hmm. thing. Um, but yeah, it was those three books. There was something for not, I don't want to sound too rudy do, but there was something kind of magical about reading those books at that time, alongside all these other texts that we were reading at that time. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. I think to go right around that is where it's still a shelter. For real, for real. They were a proper yeah. shelter for me. Yeah. Really protected me in those times. Um, and I think even with that particular book, like God of Small Things, at the time we were even we, we were noticing some of the um some of the the form that she was using, we were like, "Oh, this she's she's doing like she's doing something here," and it was kind of resonated as well with I can't, I can't say what text we were reading at the time, but just I guess the whole the conversations we were having and and so on, um, in terms of um, you know like our MFA and everything, um, it kind of heightened what we were reading from her in that in that context. And I think for me, it was also the ways in which she was able to use um, fiction in this way um, to talk about things that were, there was a scene where I think the, the two children 
the brother and sister were with their aunt in a car and they had to drive through a political rally that was happening. And then I think they may have seen Jolita, um, their mother's lover. And it was in the ways in which the story almost seemed to have, or it seemed at that point to shift from fiction to like, uh, at least in my head, they had almost shifted entirely to some essay about some... Yeah, uh, definitely. She did something that was really... <laughs> I don't have the words for it, and I'm really struggling here. But I know what you mean. But it's why I, I was, that's why I was like, that's why I was saying that fiction non-fiction thing that she says. I'm not sure it's so clear cut like that because in her own writing, it's not clear cut like that. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like a, like a manifesto or something. It was that part of the essay was of, see, I said essay, I said essay. Mm-hmm, you see, <laughs> it was really charged. It was really sad and um, there was something incredibly powerful about it that still resonates today, even though it's been like, I've already only read it once and it's been four years now. Sorry to um, remind you. This one that you keep mentioning the four years, I don't know. Yeah, yes, yes. I definitely, I definitely hear you on that. It's not. Okay. um, And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a nice place to to end. I think so too. Yeah, I really liked I really liked that. Um, thank you for everyone that tuned in um, and listened to us. <laughs> thank um, you. Go on about like some some kind of really inside <laughs> inside baseball, as they say. Yeah, I know, but um, yeah, I hope yeah, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Radio Tent House, for having us and having me. Thank you for having me, Dee. Um, this was a nice uh, Thank you for it. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you.